Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jen Lowry Writes podcast. Today, I have such a special treat for you guys. I am so glad that you've joined us because this is Larry, and Larry's got a story to tell. Uh, Larry also has a book for you, and so you have got to get this book. Um, I'm going to tell you a million reasons why. Well, maybe not a million, but I'm going to tell you four reasons why that his four that process can really help you in 2020 um, in multiple ways uh, to increase your well-being. So uh, this is for my author people out there. These are for my readers out there. I want you to share this out with your family. I've been sharing it out with my teacher friends. I want you guys just to spread the love about Independent Enough. Just the title alone, Larry. Uh, is a good one. So, okay, Larry, tell us about you. You got to give us a little bit about you. All right. I was, I was raised in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and uh, I guess the writing, I always wanted to write, even as an adolescent. When I went to college, I got hooked in. It was late 60s, early 70s. I got hooked in with a lot of alcohol, a lot of drug addiction. I ended up um, leaving school and I, the only thing I ever won in my life is the draft lottery. And I ended up going in the service, I was drafted um, uh, during the Vietnam War. I was fortunate that I never went in country, but uh, I spent a few years in Japan, which was pretty good service. But when I got out of the service, I went back to college in Norfolk. Um, and I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to do something in the community. I didn't really know what it was. I was in my mid to late 20s. <clears throat> and this uh, radio spot came for a volunteer for Rape Crisis Center. And I called them. And I did a 12 or 15 week training. And I loved it. I was hooked. It was me. Uh, it was hard. It was a struggle. It was difficult. Um, I started out doing the hotline. And then I moved to doing one-on-ones with women and men who had been sexually assaulted, going into hospitals, going into their homes. And then I was doing community outreach, uh, awareness presentations to high schools and colleges and um, community organizations and that kind of thing. When I finished undergraduate, I went to graduate school at the University of Tennessee, another Southern one, University of Tennessee in social work, got a master's in social work got very much interested in family therapy and couples work. And I did a ton of work. Initially, when I started my career, when I got licensed, I worked a number of agencies, but also started to write. I wanted to write about, I wrote thousands of pages. I mean, thousands of pages that never, ever got into print, other than my computer, my typewriter, or handwritten notes. <clears throat> and what happened was in 19, and I never got anything published, but 1991, I was diagnosed with hepatitis C. 
And that illness came, that virus came from my drug addiction. And I was carrying around that for all those years without knowing it. I was depressed. I was lethargic. I used to have to take naps. I wasn't clear thinking at all. So a lot of my, I, I didn't have the fortitude or the clarity of mind to figure out what I needed to do to publish. I always thought that you publish by being a single writer in a room and that you just, you move by the spirit or whatever you moved by and you wrote this brilliant stuff. You get a coach and I had a couple coaches. I went to some writing conferences and that kind of thing. But that was basically all you needed. And so in 1991, when I was diagnosed, I went straight. I went completely clean, no alcohol, no drug. I got heavily into my spirituality. I um, started eating better. I started exercising, taking care of myself much better. My idea was I wanted to stay alive long enough because tens of thousands of people were dying of hep C back then. I wanted to stay alive long enough until they found a cure. And about three and a half years ago, bingo, they found a cure. Before that, I was in two treatments of interferon and Robert Varen, um, one of which almost killed me. They were brutal, brutal treatments. But uh, within two weeks of trying it three and a half years ago, I was cured. I was in a phase three experimental trial, and it was like a miracle. Jen, I'm telling you, like, like a, a true miracle. I could, it's like I, I knew myself for the first time in my life. I had clarity, I had energy, I, I didn't have to take naps like I did before, I wasn't depressed. And that's when I really put my foot to the pedal and started to write. And what I began to understand is we don't do this alone. This is not about finding a room and a computer or a pen and paper and writing some sort of the American great novel. Uh, to fast forward, I figure all in all, <clears throat> from the time conception of this book to the time it was published, probably about 85 people had a hand in it. Mm -hmm. uh, I had beta readers, I had editors, I had people, I can't even tell you how many people it took just to choose the cover of the book. And just on and on and on, people who supported, people who read, people who helped, people who turned me on to publishing houses because it's self-published, people who did this, people who did that. And at the end of the day, I realized it was all in the relationships that I had formed that got this process moving in the direction that I needed to move. And I never had the wherewithal or the intelligence to know that that's what it would really take. Writing, in my mind's eye, is not a solitary endeavor. It I think that's the myth, though. I think that is the myth. Like, you had it before because you just didn't know. You had this concept in your mind that you sit at this little desk and you do your thing, and then it just automatically. It's just not that way. It's about connection. It's about connections, right. Yeah. And, you know, some of the connections were negative, but most of the connections I picked were positive. Yeah. And what I found through that process was it's the connections, but I needed to lead the connections. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I remember once I was up to about chapter three and the, the man, his name is Stuart Horowitz, was helping me um, put together the book in, in a form. Uh, he would, let me see how we would do it. The process was he would say, uh, he, I gave him all the writings I'd have over all those years. He took it down from a huge pile to a small pile, said, go home, make eight baskets and put yeah. all the you have in each one of the baskets and then we'll go basket by basket 
I like that. I, when I read that, I was like, that's really good advice. Oh, it was tremendous. It was really tremendous. It moved this along so quick, I couldn't believe it. But after the third basket, I dropped off the face of the earth. And about three months later, he sent me an email saying, what the F, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, where are you? What was the stumbling block? What was that barrier that you might have had? Fear. For the first yeah. time in my life, and I feel goosebumps as I'm even talking about it, for the first time in my life, because I had been wanting to write and publish since I was an adolescent, and for the first time in my life, this was going to come true. This really had a shot at it. And I had all those self-doubts about all the fears about I wasn't enough, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And when I publish this, people are gonna rip it apart. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And that is the heart chapter of authors out there right now. Authors who are holding it in. That's the chapter that's on their heart right now. Right. And so what you've just spoken, so many people go through that right. and what it is is now we're on the other side of it and right. we're wanting to tell people this is a part of the process it's okay you're right. gonna feel this way that right. just means it's right right i still feel that way at times at when, time, I yeah. podcasts, when i do public speaking i sometimes i feel like a fraud i, I don't have much to offer i still have those self-doubts and here's an interesting sidebar to that that i also knew because I felt it beginning to change my marriage. That I, because in order for me to lead these 85 people, not in an abusive way, not in a domineering right. way, but in a way that I needed to grow and to become stronger and to become more uh, uh, assertive and to know what worked and what wasn't working, to get over my fears and those kinds of things. As I led people, I became stronger and I grew personally. That changed the dynamic in my marriage. And so at one point, I said to myself, this is not worth it. I'm just not going to do it. I backed away because of the fear of the loss of the relationship with my wife. And, but as I pursued it, and as I, I kept getting up when I was down, and I kept being persistent doing what I need to do, what I began to notice is as I was growing, she was growing. And this process of book, not only helped me individually by what we're talking about, but also helped her grow and also helped our relationship. Yeah. It wasn't my purpose, but that's exactly what happened in the, in, in the interim. And, and ultimately that's what happened. I mean, our relationship now is better than it ever has been. I, I can even remember writing one night and I had a deadline and I, I just had to get this deadline done. And she said, honey, let's go to bed. I said, honey, I can't, I just got it. And that's unlike me. I'm a people person. I've been a psychotherapist for 40 years. I'm, I'll bend over backwards to help somebody, to care for somebody, to, get, to try to help somebody in need. So when she says to me, can you please come to bed with me? And I said, honey, I'd like to, but I can't. It, 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 it's strange to say, but it really pulled at me. You know, it, it, it really made me get stronger in myself. And as a result, she went upstairs, got some blankets and a pillow, lied down next to me. Uh, for the evening until I finished and we went to bed together. Yeah. And it's, it's just, if, if in my mind's eye, this process of book was process of growth. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was for me. And it continues to be that for me. But it's a fulfillment. Oh, no question. 
because what it is is like you say you we all have these remember when stories right remember when we wanted this but we didn't pursue it right right and, and in your book you even wrote at the in your bio piece you talked about thousands of pages you mentioned it earlier but not just thousands of pages of a self-help book right like on a positive psychology book right. you're talking thousands of pages of poetry and short stories and fiction and and um what a creative nonfiction and uh bukus and fukus and, and articles you did short short stories and shorts and articles yeah i i wrote anything absolutely that's exactly. so you've had this writing box like inside of you inside of your mind for so long just sealed shut with words right and when you finally tear off the tape of that box and you allow those words to come out and you see the fruits of the labor this is what it is it's it's laborious i mean serious it is like it's hard it's hard and it's, it's hard Right. But it's worth every word. No question. That is released. Right. But you've got to take the tape off the box. See, for me, <clears throat> there's two things you said. One is taking the tape off the box, and two, doing the labor. In order for me to take the tape off the box, I had to do internal work. Yeah. I had to internally develop characteristics about myself that I'd never had before. In order for me to give the labor, the time and effort when I was alone, as well as with other people to lead people, I had to develop certain characteristics of myself in order to do it. It wasn't, it's not just labor. It's, it's a psychological growth. It's a characterological growth. It's a personality change and growth. I mean, this book has been that for me. And I think that's what you're talking about. Oh yeah, I agree. And I also like for me as a Christian author, personally, I feel like sometimes it's not just psychological battles that we might have to face, but also that spiritual battle because no. the words that we have can bring freedom to someone else. No question. That's the words exactly. that we have can liberate someone from a chain of fear that they may have been holding on to. And right you know, spiritually, that fear is a part of that bondage, right. that, that lie, and words can help break that lie. Right, absolutely. And it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction yeah. or self-help yeah. or Christian writing, or doesn't matter what it is. If it comes from within and it's who you are and there's a certain authenticity to it, you're exactly right. That's exactly where you get to. That's how, excuse me, that's how you help people. And there's, okay, there's a lot of things I love about Independent Enough, okay? So, um, and it's, it's something that I want people to go right now, uh, pause the video right where we are, don't forget us, and then go to your website because you have it for people right, right there. Right, exactly. For them to right. download. Free, right. Free. People, I love free. All of you that follow the podcast, I say F-R-E-E -E is free, but I'm telling you it's free, but it's freedom. Right. You need the book. Right. And I have, um, so my doctorate degree is in Christian ministry, but I did all of my work in positive psychology. So like 
like all of like that's my thing um and so i love me some martin seligman i'm all about it and here i am reading your book 2020 new year and i'm saying it's free everybody needs it (laughs) but it's even more that it's free it's it's like you're having a conversation with a reader right that's the idea behind the book it's it's like you and i right now that's like when I first saw you on the podcast, I felt like I already knew you. Perfect. Thank you. Yep. Because I had spent time with independent enough. Mm. And that relationship that you build with the reader, it is very warm. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's the idea. Well, you're talking about things that people may have been battling for a while. Right. Absolutely. This isn't something that just one day you wake up and you're facing a time where you're not really that reflective. Right. You got to practice. You're you're telling people, okay, self-reflection is key to change. And you're telling people to do this work, but the way that you do it, it's not preachy or condescending or I know better than you. It's I've been there. I've experienced this. Right. If you just if you come with me on this journey, it's like I'll hold your hand through this and independent enough. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's storytelling. It a is. Lot, a lot of it's storytelling followed by some theory mixed in with it with more storytelling. And, and I'm think- more of a I like going back and going through the theory pieces. But then right. there'll be people that are gonna read your book, they're gonna attach to a story. Right, 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 right. And then there'll be people that read your book that will love the workbook piece that you have at the end because they're, they're all about that life. And, and they love to, to have those, those places where they can fill in and work through and have guided study. So your book really hits, to me, a very wide audience of readers who might appreciate different styles all in one book. That was actually intentional because what I've learned after doing 40 years of psychotherapy is everybody has a different style, everybody. And even in the workbook or the theory or the stories, it's all what it, it's, it's geared to whoever, whatever hits you, whatever, whatever pulls at you, whatever best way for you to learn and to, uh, and to move forward and to grow. And it's nice that you picked that up because that was an intentional part of the book. We wanted to make it so it would be different for different sensibilities for people. And when we're writing, we should have that intentionality. Like we really should be purposeful in the way that we're crafting books. Um, And and like I say, you know, that one person gets it, that one person might love this book because of this one piece. Like, like when I walked away from it, um, the self-reflection to me is key. But the, but the information that you provide on fear, yep. um, that piece really spoke to me and it helped me in my coaching work even today. And yeah. here's what I want to talk to you about, how your book applies to the everyday person. Yep. And that's why I was speaking with a friend today. It's another teacher friend. And I was, and we were just having this casual conversation and all of a sudden that word fear came between me and this person. 
And when you're talking about your fear, a fear that you may have, your, your face changes. Oh, no question. Your voice changes. Right. You start yeah. to actually see the physical weight on right. someone. Right. And I, I immediately said, you need to go and get independent enough because <laughs> there's a place in there that's for you. Right. And so I'm, I was pitching it to a friend today Thank because, you. and that's why I'm telling people to go and get your book because like there's parts in the book where you, where you'll say, well, if you're reading this and, and you feel very confident in this way, you may not need this piece. But, but me reading that book, it's still validating to read the book. It still reminds me that we do have to quiet the noise in our head because no matter how big or successful or this or that that you get, the voices will always try to creep in. Right. Um, and so it's a great book Thank for, you. for anybody at any stage at any stage in their life right. it's not just for someone who's struggling right oh absolutely not oh absolutely not and then when people read your book then they have another tool in their toolbox right. that when they're talking to other people right they can say go to larry's website get yeah. this book yeah and that can open a door for another person Right. That's to, do, to do some work that they may have been avoiding. Right, that's the um, And so the part, like, I really love how you talk about quieting the noise first as the first step of the process, like really being aware. It's all about awareness. Yep. To yeah. me. <clears throat> when, when, um, see, my perspective is that all conflict, all conflict, stems from dependency, but not all dependency creates conflict. And yes. that's what the book is about, independent enough. <clears throat> I mean, my, you can't be in a close relationship or just about any relationship without having a certain amount of dependency on that relationship. Right. In our American culture, we want to, everybody wants to be independent, 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 independent. But the object is not to do that. The object is that you can, dependency is fine. But when you have conflict or tension or, or when relationships get in your way of, of moving in the directions you want to move in life, that's caused by the dependency. Most people won't see that. It's and, then that's un, and then that's unhealthy. unhealthy. And, then, do. and then that becomes cyclical and it just, you, right. you're constantly right. in the loop. Right. And, and then the tension is fueled by right. more conflict. Right, because what, what we do in this society is we either blame other or we blame ourselves. I mean, look at politics, look at religion, look at intimate relationships with friends or colleagues or, you know, it, it's talking about people, it's thinking negatively about people, it's blaming, gosh, if you didn't leave there, that there, I wouldn't have tripped over it. If it's constantly looking at other for a reason of our misery. Uh, the, the flip side of that is that we often look at others for our well-being, and that's what creates the conflict. And so what happens is that you're either criticizing somebody else 
or you're criticizing yourself. I was too passive. I wasn't strong enough. That was a bad interview. I should have done this differently. I can't get all my work done. That's all noise in our head, whether you're criticizing somebody else or judging or judging yourself. And so the very first step, and this is the first step in becoming independent, is when you take a step back from the person, get out of the relationship in your head. This is not withdrawal. It's not ending a relationship. It's simply getting enough space between you and other so you can get yourself whole, so you can get yourself grounded, whether spiritually or practically or however, psychologically or emotionally or however it needs to be. That space, I remember going to an airport with my wife and um, I was just in a bad mood. I can't tell you why, I don't know. And she got patted down. Now it's not her fault she got patted down, but I'm waiting impatiently. And she comes up to me and I have an edge and she knows it and she goes, not good, huh? I go, no, not the best. And so when we walked, I said, why don't you go to the gate? I'm going to grab something to eat. Me doing that was trying to get some physical distance so I could clear that noise about her in my mind so I could self-reflect about what that was about for me during that day. Mm -hmm. decisions and then step back in the relationship and it was fine. So whether you do it emotionally or whether you do it physically, and again, it's not withdrawal. Because you're it's taking a pause. It's taking a pause. It's taking a breath. To get yourself whole. Mm -hmm. To get yourself whole. I don't know any other way of saying it. And, so, and to move your frame of mind to, to whatever negative state it happened to fall into. Like you say, sometimes we don't even know why. Right. Oh. The whole rainy days and Monday song from the Carpenters. Right, right, right. Like, you know, you don't know why, but just sometimes I've got the blues. And then, and instead of projecting all of that on others. Or self. Or, self, yeah, wallowing in it yourself. Right. Learning to have that take a break, step right. back, and then reflect. And that's right. where that step two, to me, that is very powerful. Because that means you've got to have that metacognitive conversation with yourself. Exactly right, metacognitive. And it's not, it's not an analytical conversation. It's a, it's a what's happening. Right. What part am I playing in this? What yes. am I doing? What, what did I, how do I create? What am I doing in relation? Am I being too passive? Am I being too assertive? Am I too aggressive? Am I being uh, a victim? Am I wallowing? Am I doing, I mean, there's just a million, there's examples in the book of a number of different self-reflections that we can do, but it's never about why. It's, all, it's always about who am I or what am I doing in the context of the relationship. That's true self-reflection. It's not judgmental. It's not critical. It's just this, and you'll know when you hit it. You get this, ah, like an aha kind of thing. And um, that's, from there, you make decisions. That's why you're saying self-reflection is so important. Mm -hmm. Because you can make a decision about, well, I'm just not gonna talk about this anymore, right? But that's not, self, that's not from self-reflection. If yeah. I think I'm being too, too passive and my decision needs to be in relation to that passivity, wow, maybe I need to be more assertive. So I will learn how to be more assertive, step back in with that decision and see where that goes. Because you even make that point very clear in the book. I thought I wrote it down. I was looking down at my notes when you were talking because you make it very clear that decision-making, healthy decision-making, 
is not necessarily something that you do on a whim. Oh, um, it's it's when you do it out of that self-reflection right. that allows you to truly hold on to that decision, claim it, and walk in it. Right. And you can have a greater sense of self Absolutely. with that decision. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that growth. And, and the thing about the quieting, like, I think about authors, and I think not just about authors that I coach, but just authors that I talk to, writers in the community, um, the listeners here at the podcast, and there's so many barriers. Oh. And many of, and it's not, oh, I'm never going to get Penguin Random House, so I've got to stop now. It's not the, the big five publishers. It's not a barrier like that. It's not even that. It's right here exactly. in our mind. The barrier is us. Right. We're, and we're, we can cement it though. We can concrete it so much. It's almost like etched in stone somewhere are these expectations for authors. And I want authors to take that big slab of stone and start chipping away at it and get their David. And what they do is they chip away with it in relation to the project that they're doing. My chipping was in relation to the book. I stopped the book. Larry, what is that about you that is not allowing you to go for, further with this book, right? Or it's with one of my editors, or it's with the people who bound the book or whoever it happens to be with. It's always in relation, that slab is always cemented in relation to other, whether that's a, a book, a project, a person, a place, a thing, whatever it happens to be, it's always in relation to. And so that's, the, that's one of the beauties of relationships. And when you enter it and you get that kind of slab, another way of, of, of me thinking about the slab is that that slab is conflict. It's not allowing me to push up against it. And that has the opportunity to teach me more about myself than any goodwill that I could have. Any, if I could sit and write a book in three weeks, I, I would not get what I got from writing this book in three years. I really couldn't. This, this book actually, and I don't mean to get off because I want to get back, but no, no. actually taught me, I don't want to be an author. I want to help people. And so it's the issue is the authoring, writing is secondary, but I didn't know that until I wrote this book and I got through this book. Now the blogs that I do every week, I love them, but I don't love them because I'm writing. I love them because I'm helping. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's about. And that, and this book with all the conflict and all the fears and all the processing I had to do with all the people taught me that about myself. But it opened the door to what you were really meant to be doing. Absolutely. No. But, until, but until you went to that step, right. you would have never known what was on the other side exactly. of that door. Right. If I let that concrete stone yeah. stay in my head, I never would have known what's on the other side. And the other side could be good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know. But, and that's the fear of us moving forward in something that we've never done before. Because it's the unknown. And, and okay, and, and you wrote, I wrote, change is unnerving. Oh, absolutely. And so you wrote that in the book. I quoted you on this one because you talked about, you know, change versus pseudo change. 
Right. And I think a lot of times, like, like you said, like when you stopped, you had all those fears, you had all that conflict with, with this, that, or the other, but you also had a, a pivotal part where you recognized something's about to change. Right. Oh, and you can feel the shift. No, you can I, feel, it's, it's almost like you're standing on plates. Right. And, and you can feel the plates moving, but you don't quite know if those plates are going to bring you closer or are they going to bring you farther away from what you you don't know. Yeah. So the change, you you I think we all go through that in so many times of our lives. And and when I say about independent enough, guys, he didn't write this book for specifically authors. Like it's not like my author challenge devotional for authors, you know. This is not that. He wrote that for life, which when we're, when we are writers, we are a little obsessed with that box in our head with words. And we, we are constantly faced with these kinds of crosses, these battles. Right, absolutely. And it's like these, this change, this unknown. Because that platonic shift is not just about shifting internally that's that's scary enough that's enough okay, shifting to the world and your family and everything around you and your circumstance and Absolutely. you don't and you don't know goosebumps as you're talking that's exactly right but the, but the thing about it is is if we never take that risk we we stay lamenting about a life unlived yeah. my biggest regrets in life have been what I haven't done, not what I did. Rather, right. I failed or I got hurt or I, it was conflict ridden. Or I've always looked back and said, all right, all right, I got it, I got it. I was immature. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that, but I don't regret it. What I regret was, oh, I had an opportunity and I didn't take it. Yeah. I was scared. Yeah. And I think the fear is what keeps that block. And that when that shift happens with the plates, that's what scares us to death. And that's our, and we back away. You know, people write books because they don't back away. That's yeah. all. They're not anymore. I, trust me. I, I'm, I'm as serious as I can be. I am no intellect. I am not academic. I'm no bright bulb. I'm not any smarter than the average Joe. But it's just like I did this time. I didn't back away. Because you wrote a page. Right, and then I wrote a the third page, and a fourth page, and a fifth, <laughs> and I got people around me to help me. Yeah beta readers and and that was embarrassing you know you get i got like eight or nine ten beta readers those are the people who read your first draft not your first draft like no seven. they read my first draft do you know that my process is a little weird because i am a little weird and when i write i write real time copy paste in my google doc for my betas to read it right then and i don't go back oh look at that yeah and I, that is brave. I'm very brave. Even if even if you go through the whole editorial process, the coaching process, and you go back and you do it yourself, it's still brave to get it out to people. It's brave. Absolutely. As one woman said, <laughs> when she wrote me a feedback, she says, were you playing with this or did you realize you repeated two stories or the same story twice? <laughs> I, mean, I didn't have any idea. You lose yourself sometimes in the yep. book. You don't realize what you do. Yep. So it's, it's humbling to be able to do that. But yeah, 
kudos to you. Very kudos to you. Yeah. And so when I was in eighth grade, my mom got me a, a brother typewriter. I don't know if you remember the brother oh, yeah. typewriters that had the little screen and you could yeah. kind of see the, what you yeah. did in this little box. She got me that for my graduation because she knew I was handwriting stories, little series stories, little romance books like Sweet Valley High. And yeah. I was writing them and keeping them in my book in a trunk. And she got me that. And that was the first author gift that I ever received. And very nice. I still hid it. Right. And my mom was the only one that ever read my work. Exactly. And it took me to 42 years old to say, okay, this is what I've always wanted to do. And then as soon as I spoke it out into the universe, the doors started to open and the plates shifted. That's my husband. He just came in. Hello. Um, <laughs> hey, that's Larry. He's on the side right here. Fire. <laughs> um, so I really feel like even though you did not write independent enough for particular, you know, population in mind, right. this really speaks true to anybody who has found themselves in a moment where they might just need a little bit of motivation they know that they want to change, but they might not even know how or why or what it is about them. Right. Uh, they can be stuck and they just, they need just a something that they can't even name. Right, right. So now, and, what, your process that you just described at 42, yes. you didn't just simply open the door. You had to develop certain parts of yourself that had not been developed before. Well, I just had to break through the fear. Right, right. And that's in order to break through the fear, we have to characterologically change. We have to get stronger, maybe with thicker skin, maybe more spiritual, more godly, whatever it takes. We've got to develop something to deal with that fear, you know, meditative practice or, or whatever it happens to be. And I, had, and I had a motivational piece because I was sitting in my classroom. I'm a teacher and a literacy coach. And I'm sitting in a classroom with my freshmen and I had a whole classroom full of boys and I needed to find out more about them. So no teachers out there do this because I actually had them stand on chairs because they're really tall anyway and they were reaching the ceiling and they would stand up and say, you know, I'm going into the NFL. And then they'd stand up, I'm going to be the next basketball star. And he actually was the captain of our basketball team. And, and he would, they would stand up on the chair and they were like, it's your turn. And I'm like, I'm an old lady. I can't stand up on this chair. They were like, stand on the chair. And so here are the guys. They had me stand on the chair. And they said, now what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to be an author. And they said, well, why aren't you doing it? And I'm like, why am I not doing it? You see, the, you, see, you see the challenge they give you? That's confidence, right? Yeah. So from there, you can either recoil and say, no, I'm not going to be so open from now on. Or you can say, oh, man, they're right. Let me see what I need to do with this. Yep. So you take the conflict, you take the challenge, and you do what you need to do to move forward with it. That's what this is all about. And I got to tell you, this book, in my mind's eye, this book is nothing new. It's, it's what 
all of us do when we have times of success, even if it's the smallest of success, even if it's a nanosecond or a minute or an hour or a year or a day, a month, whatever, or, or, or decade, we all at some point in order to be functional human beings, yeah. have to take that step back without realizing we have to think about ourselves and we have to grow. You know, the, the, I, I have two granddaughters and, and my, one of my granddaughters is four years old now. And, and she said this, she said this afternoon, she said, um, I have two socks. They can go on either foot. How did she say it? Wait a minute. She says, I have, I have two socks and they can go on either foot. Foots. And I said, honey, when you have two feet, when you have two feet, I grabbed her feet. These are called feet. One is a foot, two's feet, not foots. And you could see her. You could see that challenge and what she was doing with that and how she had to deal with that. And part of it was a power struggle that goes on between us and other people. And so what she had to do was that she goes, no, 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 Papa Shoe, it's foots. It's not <laughs> It's foots. I go, honey, it's feet. And so now we're into this power struggle. So now I've got to go into my, I got to get her out of my head. I've got to go into some self-reflection and go, okay, I'm in a power struggle with a four-year-old. <laughs> right? And so we started to go through the different parts of the body. And then at that point, she knew two knees, two hips, two arms, two hands. They're not, they're not classified like feet. And that freedom out of the power struggle allowed her to go back and say, I can put these socks on either feet I want, <laughs> right? She used it wrong, but she got the idea of two feet. Right. And so that took, that was an instantaneous self-reflection, backing away, self-reflecting, making a decision and going back into it, if that makes any sense. Oh, so yeah. You do this all the time without realizing what this book, I hope, does is codify it, put it out there, so we can see our own process when mm -hmm. it works for us. And it's practical. I hope so. And, it's, and it's, it's like I said, it's every day. And like that decision that you had to make, which way am I going to now address my granddaughter? Is it just going to be on this quick response? Or is it going to be my step back, reflection, right. make the decision, and then re-engage? Right. Because you have that after the self-reflect. So, so guys, the process, the four-step process, so you have to quiet your head, take that pause back, that step back. And I know you have your terms in there. I might be so misquoting you. So you, I am paraphrasing. Um, and then when you go to the second phase, it's the self-reflection, which I feel like is the, that's the key. Um, and then you're able to go in and make the decision make the decision based not on an emotional response, but on a reflective response. Yeah. And then you move back in and you re-engage. Right. With, the, with that world or with that situation or, or whatever <coughs> it was, who, what, whatever. Um, one more step. Is the, go. You want me to say it? Yes, because I might have, what did I miss? I'm in a test. Next step. <laughs> The next step is once you re-engage after the decision, because we make these decisions in our head, we got this self, 
great self-reflection and we've made this great decision and we know we have found the answer to the problem. So we step back in and somebody doesn't react the way we think they should be reacting. So you have to do the process over. Oh, you reuse, reuse, reuse. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Repeat, repeat, reuse, reuse. You go again. Yeah, you go again. And, the, and one of the reasons we have to keep going is because the world does not respond the way we want it to. You know, like when I got that email and I started to write the book, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm on my way now, right? I had a gazillion other hurdles that I had to get over, right? So I had to keep repeating that same process over and over and over again. When my wife and I get into conflict, we have to keep repeating that over, over, and over again. Part of the reason is that, like I said, the world doesn't respond to us like we wanted to. But the other part of it, which I think is phenomenally interesting, is this thing called neuroplasticity. Yes. What, do you mind if I say that? No, please do. And you talk about it in your book too, so go. What neuroplasticity is, is that we used to believe in the 50s and 60s and even in the 70s that our brains were hardwired by your mid-20s. And from there, your brain started to decay. Um, aging, illness, injury, disease, those kinds of things. Now what they're showing through what they call fMRIs, they're called functional MRIs, they're showing that our brain is not hardwired. It's actually reorganizing itself regularly, constantly, over and over and over and over and over again. And so as it reorganizes itself, you get these things, what they call neuropathways, right? And let's say that's a neuropathway. So when you first make a decision from the self-reflection and you step back in, right, you've still got the old neuropathway. So it's called beginner's luck, you know, when you first do it and then the next week it falls apart and you go, wow, I just did that. Why did that fall apart? Why can't I be more consistent? Because you haven't established a different neural pathway. And what neuroplasticity says is because the brain is constantly reorganizing itself, you can actually, by practicing new decisions that you make, you can create new neurons. That, that means you are physiologically changing your brain, which is unbelievable to me to think about. But as you do that, you create a different neuropathway. And that different neuropathway, over time, if you make a commitment, you repeat it, you believe it, it's different than anything you've done, and you do it over a period of time, that secondary pathway get stronger and stronger, and the first pathway starts to fade out. It's and, phenomenal to think about. And you even give a story in there about your own life and how you thought that you pushed through a lot of the negative self-talk, and then it came up to creep back on you, <laughs> and you were shocked. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. I thought I dealt with this issue. Right. You gotta, you gotta be willing to get back up and do it over and over and over and over and, and just make that commitment to yourself. Some people think it's a lot of work, but for me, chronic conflict, chronic stress, depression, anxiety, not getting what we want in life, not being who we want to be in life is a lot more work to keep all that noise in my head than doing this kind of positive work. Mm -hmm. That's hard. So I wrote my favorite quote. I want to share it with everybody. I hope I can read my handwriting. 
<laughs> I actually, I actually, y'all know I got my journal here. Y'all see my, y'all look at my chicken scratch. Look at it. I'm gonna try to read it. Um, Self-reflection wipes off the fogged mirror. I love that. Um, so we can see ourselves, which can then lead to decisions that make a life as a whole happier and more rewarding. Exactly right. And I loved that, that thought that you had, like you wrote how self-reflection wipes off the fogged mirror because a lot of times we're standing there and it's the talk we talk that fogs up the mirror. Right, exactly right. And we, and you talk about it too, that we've got to change the story that we tell ourselves. Right, exactly right. That, that is worse you guys going to get independent enough. Thank you. And the, the dot, dot, dot at the end of what you just said is regardless of what anybody else is doing, you just have to stop looking at other people and you got to figure out how you're going to wipe that fog out so you can clear your mind so you can see who you are and what you need to do, regardless of what the world does. And I what mean, you can contribute and what you can give is going to be unique to you independent of the people around you absolutely correct and you may lose friends you may lose a job and get another job you may create some kind of conflict in your marriage or your intimate partnerships i tell you i have i have lost maybe a half a dozen friends one of them was a a a, a partner of mine in the psychotherapy practice for 25 years we just completely grew apart and we, we have very little in common at this point. And it, it grieves me and I'm sad about it, but it's something I had to let go of in order to do what I needed to do. And, and a lot of people too with faith practice, when people step in to their salvation, right. that is a decision. And I know your book is not <coughs> religious in that sense. I really respect your book because you say, regardless, this can partner with a spiritual practice. Oh, absolutely. It's because it's very it's very open for you know secular world, religious institutions. It's not like zero down funnel. Um, but when I think about the decision making process for a person of faith, regardless of what that faith practice is, when they make that decision that I'm gonna step now into this new change, you will alienate people you may lose people um, and so your book is is even for those people Absolutely. who know that they've made this life change right. but what it is is that that self-reflection that you have with yourself like for me i know that i'm you know a jesus believer i right. know that i'm born again and i know this and with that change comes new practice Right. It comes new commitments. It right. comes a different mindset. It comes a different walk. Right. And so the way I walked prior to, you know, where I had no filter, now I have a filter that is completely unique to my walk exactly. and my faith. Right. And so with, with that being said, this book lends itself to all walks of life all people right and, and that's why i think your book is beautiful thank you because what happens 
is we have a relationship with God, that shifts. We have a relationship with ourselves in relation to God, that shifts. We have a relationship with the minister and the preacher and the deacon and the, and the other congregants and our families who aren't born again and who have com converted to Judaism. And we have atheists in our families who we used to love and still love, but how do we make that work kind of thing? So everything begins to shift. It's all in relationship. Oftentimes when we think about um, um, spirituality or religion, we think we don't think about relationship. You know, when we think about writing a book, we don't think about relationship. We absolutely, I'm telling you, it's all, it it, absolutely, it's yeah. all about relationships. And, and you gotta have, you gotta have that ability to take the step back, self-reflect on what you need to develop for yourself to deal with that, those shifting plates that you talked about, you know, with everybody in your life, including yourself. Yourself. Right, exactly. And a thing about authors, and I don't know if you have battled this, because I don't think this about you, but I could be completely wrong because people have me pegged wrong. So I am an introvert. And I I love my home life. I'm, I, I get very tired after a lot of social engagement. It just really taxes my mind. I have to, to have naps, like I have to, to have quiet. Uh, I would rather be in a book, uh, children's books, but I would rather be in middle grades and children's books and reading, reading and writing than out in, in, you know, in the world. And so I think like for authors, a lot of it is a fear of relationship. Oh, absolutely. Fear of connection, because now you're telling people that in order to do what you do, you've got to connect to yourself. Right. You've got to connect to others. Right. And I think a lot of that, not just like, oh, I'm going to get a bad review right. or this beta reader. It's not even about that. It's connecting with another human. Absolutely. Can bring tremendous fear to people that may feel like this is my comfort zone world. It's easy to dream about the author life. It's easy to want that life. But you're telling me now that this is about connection. And this is about relationships. Yeah. And this is not, because you said it very clear at the beginning of our talk, this is not a solitary world right. in the author community. Absolutely. We think it is, but it's absolutely not. And when did it dawn on you that it wasn't? And did you have a fear about that? Or did you embrace it because you had had someone tell you this is a part of the process? What was that break? Because that's like a chain that can hold people. Well, I, I still have a fear. But the difference is I don't let the fear determine what I'm going to do. If I can see the fear, be aware of the fear, back away from what's creating the fear for me, and self-reflect, oh, I'm scared. All right, sit with it for a minute. Just just do the next step, Larry. And that's my decision from that fear, risk, self-reflection, and I'll do the next thing. Because each level, even this podcast that we're doing, I mean, I didn't know you. I mean, I feel very comfortable with you, but I, I had no idea about how this was going to go. And every podcast I do, every radio spot, there's a certain element, people call it nervous, but nervousness is nothing more than a certain amount of fear. Yeah. So I have that fear even now, and I go into that self-reflection. If I become aware of the fear, 
I can do what I need to do. I can make the decisions around that that don't stop me, but allows me to develop and become stronger to move through and on the other side of that fear. Because I don't think it ever goes away. I think that's a myth. I mean, I think none of our issues ever go away. We evolve them over time, which is part of what's said in the book, that, you know, when, when, like when we write a book or when we get into relationships, we think that if we get into arguments or we get into difficult times and we get over the hump, that we've resolved it. You don't resolve stuff in life. You evolve life. You know, my- And you adapt and you compromise and you learn each other. You don't compromise. You don't compromise. So you say not to compromise. Here, let me put that out, okay? So here, here's what I found about compromise, is compromise is a, is a legal tool. I'll give up something I don't want to give up. You give up something you don't want to give up, right? <clears throat> to create peace. But what happens when we usually do that is I'm going to look at you to make sure you're doing your part because I know I'm doing my part. So they catch you. I'm going to catch you being bad. Exactly right, right. Because I want to make sure that you're doing equal that I'm doing, and you're going to be watching me to make sure you're doing what I'm doing. It creates a certain level of mistrust. Or tension, because then you'll start qualifying the person where they only give 20%, right. and you think you're giving 120%. Right. What I would rather do, and I, can I tell the story in the book? Oh, please do. So That's going to get people to go get the book, guys. Listen to Larry. <laughs> one of the stories in the book is about my wife and I going to sleep together. In yeah. the early part of our marriage, I would go to sleep early and she'd stay up late. I mean, really late. And the reason she would say she'd stay up late is because, you know, it, she said, it's the only time I got quiet. Three kids and you, Larry, and I love you all, but I just got to have some time by myself. So she'd do that. But when I'd go to sleep by myself, I'd feel lonely. I'd feel rejected. I'd feel like I want somebody next to me, right? And so we argued about this. And when I'd bring it up, she'd feel criticized. And when she'd feel criticized, she would criticize me. And then I'd feel stupid for feeling that way. And it just wasn't working. So after five years, sometimes we'd argue. Sometimes we'd be quiet about it. Sometimes it worked when it wasn't an issue. But after five years, I said, honey, look. I said, I, we really need to sit down and compromise this. She rolls her eyes, because I'm a therapist, she was a music teacher, right? She rolls her eyes, and we sit down, and we come up with this idea. Three days a week, I'll stay up late. Three days a week, she'll come to sleep early. And on Saturday night, never mattered, because we went out, and, and we just usually went to sleep at the same time. The very first night we were supposed to do this, I went to sleep early, she stayed up late, we woke up the next morning arguing about whose turn it was first. Yeah. And reason for that is because neither one of us wanted to I didn't want to go to stay up late she didn't want to come to sleep early we didn't want to do what we had agreed that we were going to do so fast forward I get uh, cured of hepatitis C and I'm lying in bed one night and ruminating like I always do if she really loved me she'd come to sleep this is so simple it's a power struggle she's just doing it to get you know all that other stuff in my head and then it hit me right right and because I said, okay, Larry, you got to stop thinking about this. Just, just like try to go to sleep. And then went, ah, what is wrong with me that I can't soothe myself to sleep? It was almost like I had to 
take my thumb out of my mouth and be a big boy as opposed to needing a stuffed bear next to me kind of well, thing? Well, you stepped outside of that emotional thoughts, the right. feelings that you had all tangled up with all of the negative self-talk, and you actually just stepped away from it. Right. And from there, that's when we can make some progress. And we made a lot of progress around this, but it doesn't go away. Right. But it doesn't look now what it looked like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago, or even 30 years ago. We have evolved this issue over time. Mm -hmm. And we evolved it in such a way that as we have entered into the conflict and made the commitment to each other that we will have that conflict with each other and we'll do what we need to do. And as we grow in this conflict, we deepen our love. Right. We deepen our intimacy. We deepen our commitment to one and to ourselves and to one another. And I think writing the book is, is writing a book is very similar to that. Oh, it that, is. That you're never going to get over the fear. I mean, I, you know, I had uh, uh, so the marketing firm I'm using. They say to me, you know, we really need to take it to a different level. We need to get you out and speaking at a national level. And I haven't returned the email. <laughs> okay. I am going to be praying for you, whether you receive it or not, because the words that you have can change one person. I, I'm with you. I agree. I think that's true. I, and, I, and I believe that if, you know, the book is there, but you've got to champion the words. No question. And You've I, got to be the champion. And I have to develop championship-like qualities to champion the word. Yes. That's, what, that's my next step. So the stuff doesn't go away. It just takes me to a different level and a higher level and a higher level and a higher level. And that's what this is about for me. Yeah. Every relationship works exactly the same. And so a part of my weird process is I watch UFC. So I'm a big fight fan yeah. and I do five rounds of edits. Like they're like each round is a championship round. Oh, great. Like I don't look at edits as being something negative. I look at it as this is going to make it better. This is going to grow my work. So no matter what I try to do, not to say that I don't come across some conflict, but I really think the word conflict has got such a negative connotation Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. That we shy away even from discussing the word, which conflict creates change, which creates, well, it can create a healthy environment for you to thrive in. If you do the work you need to do when you hit up against conflict, that it does that. It creates a healthier environment in which to work in. That's mm -hmm. exactly You've grown. The project grown, I've grown, my wife has grown, people around me grow. I mean, that's how we lead relationships. That's why I say that we can have any relationship we want, regardless of what somebody else does. We can become leaders, but oftentimes we give it up to other people. Oh, if she didn't do this, I'd be much better off. Or, or, or yeah, I heard a writer, I have a writer in therapy now, and he says, you know, it's an electronic age and uh, it's social media, social media, social yeah. media. I'll never get this out. This is not what I wanted to do. So I, there's no way for me to do it. I'm blaming other as yeah. opposed to seeing his giving upness as a problem. 
and he needs to learn how to get strong enough to get over his giving upness. He needs to make a commitment as opposed to giving up and move forward whatever that takes and make the changes he's got to make. And I think that's how you create that healthy environment for yourself. Exactly yeah. what you're saying. Absolutely. And so you say that you're not going to write anymore, possibly. No, I write a blog once a week. But the blog, I'm saying books. You're saying you realize that maybe writing books. I might not. <laughs> I like you saying I might not because <laughs> I think there's a lot left with you. I think and I, I really think that you have, like, so with your fiction work, I've got to ask, like, is there a particular genre that you navigate towards when I you're, love. what do you love? I love poetry. Okay, so your next book is a poetry book. <laughs> hmm. so, here's, so here's my thought about, and this is an interesting process, and it kind of lends to what you're saying to me. What I have learned is that most authors will write a book, let it go, write another book, let it go, write another book, let it go. And what I'm finding is that I need to make a commitment to this book for three to five years. Because that's your process. Because that's my process. It's yeah. exactly right. That's my process. Because I think, and I don't mean to sound egotistical, but I think there's a lot of value to this book and what this book is saying. And mm -hmm. I want to get out to as many people as possible. I don't even care if I make a dime off of it. I really don't. It's not an issue for me. I want to get the word out. And so for me to give it everything I got for three to five years, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. Just like the podcast started with one person and now yeah. you're up 15,000. I mean, I think that's fantastic. I yeah. started with zero people and me just talking to myself. <laughs> and I just kept talking to myself. And then all of a sudden it said one listen. <laughs> you went, yes! Somebody listened to me. <laughs> Why? I don't know, but they do. And then... Here we go. But you, it's that consistency, though. It's the work. It's the consistency. But it's that, I say it all the time, it's honoring the blank page. It's right. just honoring whatever it is meant to be. Absolutely. So, so whether it's national for you or international for you, whatever that is for you in your future, you get that email, you answer that email. Oh, absolutely. I'll answer it. But first, I'll develop a little thicker skin, a little more confidence, a little more, because I don't want to. It's, it's never going to go away, Larry. I'm repeating what you told me. Yeah, I got it. But so let me tell you my thought process about this. If I answer that email without having done my, a part of my next level work, it's not going to work. You know, I've got to answer that email with a different sense of self behind that email, right? Right. So one of the things they've asked me is, give me the names of six or seven people who do, who are nationally or internationally known about relationships so we can explore where they talk, what they do, and so we can start bumping that over. Your market research, yeah. That, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so um, in order for me to think that I'm at a level of a John Gottman or Esther Perel or even a Tony Robbins or whoever it happens to be, I've got to grow into that. 
I won't take long because I've got experience now. This will only take me a day or two to believe that I can do this. And that'll give me more confidence because I think confidence is created not by other people telling me I'm good or what I can do, but by me setting a goal and reaching that goal. That's a confidence nobody can take away from you. Nobody. Right. And, and you, create the, you create the confidence, but you can also create the fear. Oh, at the same time. And you, and okay, so I wrote, this is another one. We create fear with thoughts and the stories we tell ourselves. Absolutely. It's all fear is imaginative. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this quick story if I could. So um, years ago, we moved into the city before we bought this farmhouse, 10, 12, 13 years ago. And my dog, she was a German short hair pointer. We got her from a rescue league, was old. And she had to go to the bathroom every two hours. Now we're in the middle of the city in Providence. <clears throat> so I take her for the walk, must've been about three o'clock in the morning. I take her for a walk and we're turning around, we're coming back and this car stops right next to me and rolls down the passenger side and looks at me. And I know, you know, you can sense what's going on. I know I'm going to get mugged. I just know I'm going to get, I'm, it's what's going to happen. So I looked out at Maya and I go, honey, you need to move just a little quicker than you normally do so we can get home faster. She couldn't do it. And by the time I crossed, they had turned around, stopped on the other side of the street and got out of the car. Now, I had no fear whatsoever. I was absolutely like this. And I turned to them and I looked at them because I knew I could not run them, knew it. Some knew I could not run them. And I looked down at their license plate and I looked at their face, looked down their license plate, looked at their face, looked down their license plate, looked at their face. They said something to each other, got in the car and drove off. That's what the absence of fear can do. Now, had I created the fear, oh my God, they're going to mug me. I'm going to be lying on the street. They're going to take my wallet. They're going to, that's creating it in my mind. I knew the intention was to mug me. But the fear on top of that is something I would have created in my mind. And I learned this from the Rape Crisis Center, that if you're assaulted by somebody and you are afraid, they sense that and that's what gives them their power. That's why when I would do community um, uh, presentations and awarenesses, it would be about, here's 20 options you can do. Keep it in your head, right? So you've got a toolbox if you're ever approached by anybody. It's that kind of thing. So what we try to do for the Rape Crisis Center is keep people out of the fear mode. Now, it's, it's not saying that it's clean. It's, you're gonna to be totally clear of fear. But if fear rules you, if fear rules us, we're not gonna be able to accomplish what we wanna accomplish. We're not gonna be safe. We're not gonna create the environment that you talk about. But we have to develop what we have to develop to stare that fear in its face, give it to God, pass it through God, uh, do relaxations, do whatever it takes to face that fear and go, okay, now I know what it is. That's a self-reflection. Mm -hmm. I am scared. So I know that I'm scared of doing international problems. I've done a couple, like for the National Alliance for Mentally Ill and a couple mm -hmm. others, 
right? Love Nami. Love, yes. Nami's in the back of every one of my books. I give, yeah, every, every book has a page for contacts with phone numbers and Nami and we just we just did a devotional for Nami where all the proceeds will go to Nami. I'm I'm that's my place. Yeah. It's about spreading the word with Nami. Nami's a tremendous organization. It's been around for decades and I think it's fantastic. And so yeah. you've got that skill set. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I said anything. That's great. I got it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. I'll get there. I'll get there soon too. I won't wait because I have the experience of facing fear and working at it so I can get on the other side of it. And I know because you don't know what's on the other side until you move that slab exactly that, that you have built for yourself. And, and that so slab is just imaginative. Yeah. And chip away at it and then think of it as marble. Chip away at it and then you've got a David. Right, chip exactly. away at it. But if you don't, you just have the slab. Right, exactly right, right. And, and you're choosing a life unlived. Yeah. And you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life. Okay, so now I've got you got on a mission now. You're gonna be very self-reflective. <laughs> I'm there, I'm there, thank you, I appreciate that. So guys, okay, tell them how they can contact you. Where do you live? Because yes, social media is a part of this life. Absolutely. So tell people, how they can find you, how they can reach out to you. Yep. Um, so um, the central place is the website. It's independentenough.com. And like you said before, it's a free download. Um, there's blogs, there's weekly blogs that are put up. They can fill out a contact sheet uh, because when the blog goes out the following day, I put out a notification. We're about three, 400 people now that are just, I send out and let them know the blog is out for the week. They can fill out a contact sheet. I can send them that. Um, there's places where I, th there's a speaker page on there that they can fill out if they want me to come speak. Matter of fact, I would love to come to your freshman class. Oh. I would love to come to your freshman class. Hey, I'm would. telling you, we can, we can Zoom you in. <laughs> oh, all right. I'd fly down there. You can do well. I could zoom you in because yep. then that would save you money. <laughs> again, again, I, I visit relatives down there, I can get down there and see friends. Hey. I can down there from him. I would love to do that. You, you know. let me know, and I'll put you on the stage. I'm there. You tell me a time, and I'll be, I'll, I'll make the time because make it's about the students need to hear this work too. I agree. Like I that. said, it's for all populations. And what better place to start than with youth and building those positive practices? Because like you said, this is a practice. Right, right. This is a practice. This and is perfect for youth. What we don't learn when we're younger. Yeah. It's, it's, I think the, the biggest crack in our education, you can learn math and science and history and whatever you want, but until you learn this process uh, of how to move through life and maneuver your way, by leading relationships in healthy directions, you're really just going to be unhappy. And I guess a lot of people. Or you'll be looking for other people right. to fulfill you, like right. you said. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. So independentenough.com. All the social medias: Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, Twitter, uh, Instagram. All under independent enough. Or Larry Shashansky, one or the other. All right. 
So thank you so much for hanging I, out. I hope this is what you wanted. Oh, whatever. Uh, the thing is, is I never have an expectation about a talk because I know that there is one listener out there that there's something that we said that can say, okay, I got it. I feel like my plates are shifting or I've got that slab or I feel like I've got that box that needs the tape to be pulled. No matter what point it was, it's not like we're scripted. We're not. It's yeah. meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. And so I embrace, I embrace the interview. I embrace the time that you give. You definitely did. There's no question about that. But the time that you give is just as valuable as the words. Oh, absolutely. And, and so I appreciate the time that you've taken, you know, to champion your words. Thank you. Thank you. You're more than welcome. And thank you for having me on. And I mean yeah. that. Um, I've done a lot of podcasts and radio podcasts and radio stations you're up there in terms of being a host oh thank you yay right from the comforts and nobody knows it but i'm wearing my pajamas okay? <laughs> <laughs> see there we can do this live that's great do this live that's great hey i just so thanks again we're going to be in contact yeah uh, I love I love i'm gonna be praying for you hey thank that, you that school idea don't lose that thought uh, in all seriousness, if um, you can free some time up and you want me to come, and I can teach one class, I can teach five or ten classes, I can teach, you know, a, a room, uh, an audience, whatever works best for you in the school, just please contact me and I'll be. Well, we're doing something called, we're a, a medical magnet, which you might appreciate. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. We're a medical magnet and we do, for the first year, we came up with an idea and at first I thought maybe it was crazy, but it's actually brilliant. Uh, it's called Roving Labs, where we're taking a professional and we're roving, we're moving them through the classrooms. Great. Moving them through so we can reach more students in a more personal manner than sitting 500 in an auditorium. I think that's great. Um, so Roving Labs, if, if you're down, I'll be down there for two or three days if you want. <laughs> All right, Larry. Okay. Get you into the school. All right. Good. But uh, I appreciate everything. That's Blessings awesome. to you and your family and your wife. And to you and, and uh, kids. And, and when you get that international uh, jet set in life going, <laughs> you can say, I remember this conversation I had with this southern talking woman. That's right. <laughs> I'll remember your name for sure. There you go. All right. Well, thanks, Larry. You have a blessed one. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us. Go get independent enough. I'm going to be talking about it. All the links are going to be in the description. And just thank you guys for being with us. I love y'all. And bye. Bye, Larry. Bye-bye. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99, you are helping me chase after mine.
So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.